Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and we're going to be in 2 Chronicles today, chapter 32, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? We started a new series of messages last week that we're calling Against the Odds, and we're talking about how we can have the faith to move forward even when the odds are against us. Uh, even when the circumstances of life might be contrary to us, how we can have the faith to move forward. And we're learning from an Old Testament king that the Bible has a lot to say about, even though we often don't talk uh, much about him, and that is King Hezekiah. And uh, many people are unfamiliar with King Hezekiah, and the Bible has so much to say that I believe is applicable to our lives. And today, we're going to be in Second Chronicles 32 going to bounce around a little bit today, and we love to go verse by verse uh, teaching uh, scripture. And today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 32 verses 1 through 8, but we'll also be in 2 Kings 18 a little bit, and so uh, we'll have the verses on the screen as well. But let's start reading in verse number 1 of 2 Chronicles 32. The Bible says this, after these things, after these things, after those things were uh, those uh, times when Hezekiah became king and he brought the nation of Judah into spiritual reform and ushered in a spirit of revival. Uh, after those things and the establishment thereof that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city and they did help him so there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains in the brook that ran through the midst of the land saying why should the kings of assyria come and find much water and he strengthened himself and built up all the walls that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired millow in the city of david and made darts and shields in abundance and he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak on how we can respond when the enemy attacks. How to respond when the enemy attacks. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can come together and rally around your word. God, thank you for what you did in the 830 service. And Lord, we're praying that you would speak to us here and now in the 10 o'clock service. God, you know each and every heart that's represented in this room and each and every life that's represented watching online. And Lord, we're just praying that your word would penetrate our hearts and, and speak to us in a powerful way today. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and give me the words to say that would be exactly what our church needs and exactly what we need to have the faith to move forward. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. my three children, they love to wrestle. 
And so sometimes in our household, it'll just turn into an all-out wrestling match. And, and uh, a lot of times, it's a surprise attack. They'll just kind of come and attack me. And uh, normally, I can do okay, and I can handle them. But when all three of them come at once, sometimes it gets pretty intense. And uh, especially when my children were younger, Blakely, my youngest daughter, she would kind of just jump on me, and she would just kind of start slapping me in the face and uh, not really knowing the rules of engagement, right, of wrestling. And uh, my son, when he was younger, Luke, I would just be laying down on the ground on my back uh, watching TV or something like that, and he would come and just jump and cannonball right on my stomach without any warning, just kind of taking the wind uh, right out of me. And so now, even to this day, when I'm laying on the floor on my back, I'm tightening my stomach just in case there is an attack that I'm unaware of uh, when my kids want to uh, enter into the room. Uh, I was reading recently about the War of 1812, when the British uh, forces came in and they set uh, the Capitol on fire and they set the White House on fire and, and uh, Dolly Madison was the first lady at the time and she went in and she famously rescued this portrait of George Washington. I think we have a picture today and uh, this portrait uh, is still in the White House today because she came in and rescued that before it was destroyed by the fire. And, you know, eventually that war came to an end. Eventually there was a peace treaty that was signed. But what that war highlighted and underscored was that Washington, D.C. was susceptible and vulnerable to attack. And so what they did was they got together and they decided we need to rebuild this uh, building, specifically the White House, better. And so they, they built it back with fireproof materials and uh, they established a better and proper evacuation plan and they uh, had better uh, security protocol. They took the necessary steps to be better equipped and to be better prepared for an attack. And for a few minutes this morning at the 10 o'clock service, the question that I want us to consider is, are we prepared for when the enemy attacks? And so when the enemy comes into our life and attacks us and in many different ways, he can attack you mentally, he can attack you physically, uh, maybe your physical health uh, is going to suffer, or maybe uh, you are struggling with your thoughts and your mental life, or he might attack your joy and he might attack your relationships. When those times come, are we prepared to withstand the attack from the enemy? Uh, because I believe that spiritual success is not contingent upon our level of passion, but it is contingent upon our level of preparation. Uh, are we prepared? Are we ready to withstand the attack from the enemy? The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11, verse number 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Uh, see, it's God's desire that every Christian, every follower of Jesus, every day would be able to be equipped and prepared to withstand the attacks from the enemy. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, he's a commentator that said the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we have to make sure that we are taking uh, this very seriously and soberly as we walk through this life. Now, uh, last week we started this series and we're learning about King Hezekiah. And we talked about how Hezekiah became king as a young man and uh, only 25 years old. And he ushered in a spirit of revival and in a spiritual reform for the nation of Judah. And because of this, for 14 years, Judah experienced peace. For 14 years, they experienced this calm, this tranquility in their nation. Things were going well. Hezekiah was a good king. He was a godly king. He was a righteous king. And they were experiencing peace. 
But in the 14th year, Hezekiah's faith was about to be tested like never before. By the way, can I just encourage you today that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And sometimes God will allow us to experience tests not to destroy us, but to develop us and give us an opportunity to deploy our faith. If everything was easy and if everything was calm and peaceful, we wouldn't have an opportunity to deploy our faith. And so here in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, he has this opportunity to deploy his faith because he is experiencing an attack from the Assyrian king, from the enemy. And it's fascinating because Hezekiah was a good and godly king, right? Everybody tracking with me so far? He was a good and godly king, but when he's attacked in the 14th year, he responds in the wrong way. In fact, when you read about how he responds, it's shocking what he does. Uh, how many of you have ever experienced adversity or something bad in your life and you did not respond the right way? Anybody like that? Anybody ever get cut off on the freeway and didn't respond the best way? Okay, I see some of those hands. Okay, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, sometimes in life we're going to experience opposition or adversity or an attack. And we can't always control what happens to us. But by the grace of God, we can control how we respond to what happens to us. And Hezekiah experiences this attack and initially... He does not respond the right way. Initially, he trusts in himself and he trusts in what he can do rather than trusting in the Lord. But by the grace of God, God allows him to begin again and he gets prepared for another attack. And that's the text in which we're going to be studying today. And so what I want to do is I want to give us today, if you're taking notes, four ways in which we can respond when the enemy attacks. When you are struggling spiritually, when you are struggling relationally, when you feel like you are encountering opposition, four ways we can respond when under attack. Does that sound good? this morning? Number one is this, if you're taking notes. We have to refuse to let fear call the shots. Now, to understand the context of 2 Chronicles 32, we're going to read the parallel passage in 2 Kings 18, and just to kind of get your bearings, 2 Kings 18 and 2 Chronicles 32 are the same passage, okay? So it's the same story, giving different perspectives, uh, just like different eyewitness accounts of the same scene. And so in 2 Kings 18, it gives us a little bit of context. In verse number 13, it says this, now, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah, and he took them. Now, if, here, if you were here last week, we gave a map, and I want to put it on the screen for a second. Uh, this is uh, the split nation of Israel at this time. The nation of Israel was divided. You had the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of Judah. Last week, we saw that the Assyrians already took over the northern nation of Israel. They already took them captive. And now what we see in 2 Kings 18 in 2 Chronicles 32, is that now the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, is also taking over Judah. And the Bible says that he is taking over the fenced cities. He's taking over the surrounding cities. And so now Hezekiah learns in the 14th year of his reign, we are under attack for the first time in 14 years. How will he respond knowing that the enemy is taking over the surrounding cities? How will he respond knowing that he's under attack? And unfortunately, the Bible says that he responds not in faith, but in fear. And when he sees the enemy surrounding him, rather than putting his faith and trust in the Lord, now he is cowering initially in fear, afraid of that attack that is coming. Can I tell you today that one of the greatest tactics the enemy has in your life and in my life is fear. He knows that if he can get you scared, he can get you stagnant. And if you are scared, you will not move forward into the calling that God has for you. And so often fear uh, allows us and causes us to remain stuck. Uh, there was this famous thief uh, in the 1800s in California. His name was Charles Bolton. 
and uh, uh, this was uh, a time when there was Wells Fargo uh, stagecoaches that would be traveling to and fro, and, and it was about an eight-year period where he successfully robbed 29 different Wells Fargo stagecoaches, and uh, an incredibly successful thief, and uh, uh, he went by this nickname, you may have heard of it, Black Bart. How many of you have ever heard of Black Bart? And uh, Charles Bolton, he was just one that would produce fear uh, in his victims, and something that's so interesting about Charles Bolton is he performed all of these stagecoach robberies, and he never fired a single shot. Many times, he didn't even use real guns. He would just come in, and his very sinister presence would be enough to overwhelm those stagecoach crews, and they would just surrender and give him all the money. What did he do? He used fear to paralyze his victims. That's exactly how the devil works and operates in our lives. He will use fear to paralyze our progress. And here, when the enemy is coming to attack Hezekiah, he allows fear to hold him back. And I want you to see two ways in which this fear uh, caused him to be held back. Uh, first, this fear caused confusion for Hezekiah. Uh, he wasn't thinking clearly, and I want you to see it in verse number 14 of 2 Kings 18. It says this, And Hezekiah, king of Judah, this is in 2 Kings 18, 14, And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to king of Assyria, to Lachish, saying, watch this, I have offended. He says, I've offended. Uh, that means I've done wrong. He says, I have sinned. Now he's talking to the enemy king, and he sends him word, knowing that he's surrounded. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I've made a mistake. I'm sorry. I've offended. Return from me. Go away. And that which thou puttest on me, I will bear. What is he saying? He's saying, whatever kind of money, uh, tribute that you want, I'll pay it. Whatever you put on me, I will bear. See, the reason that the king of Assyria was attacking Hezekiah and was attacking Judah is because Hezekiah refused initially to pay a tribute uh, to the Assyrian kingdom. And now uh, Hezekiah, that was a good decision. He shouldn't have made an alliance with the enemy. That was a good decision. But now Hezekiah sees that the enemy is surrounding him. And he's saying, I've offended. I'm sorry. I'll pay you. Whatever you want, I'll pay you. And he is apologizing for the very thing that he did right. See, what fear does in our lives is fear produces confusion. You, you see this all the time in cancel culture today. Someone will say something out of their convictions. They'll say what they believe. And then the mob or the crowd will come and attack and, and criticize them. And then what will happen next, typically? There's an apology. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, uh, why? Uh, fear causes confusion. Uh, he said, I've offended. I've done wrong. And this is how the devil works and operates. He wants to produce confusion in our lives so that we are apologizing for the very thing that we did right. He wants us to second guess our good and godly decisions. Uh, this is how it works sometimes. Uh, you, you might make a godly decision that says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve in the local church. I'm going to give my time, and I'm going to serve. And, and then you make that decision, and you start serving. And then you notice, man, I don't have as much time as I used to. And, man, uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe I shouldn't have made that uh, decision to serve. Or maybe, maybe God puts it on your heart to invite your neighbor to church, and you, and you say, okay, I'm going to follow through, and I'm going to make that decision. And you go, and you invite your neighbor to church. But then it gets a little bit awkward, and now every time they see you, they just kind of rush into their garage, and they don't want to wave at you anymore. And now you're thinking, man, I don't know if I should have made that decision. But can I encourage you today? Don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the light. And so often what we do is we begin to second guess good and godly decisions, but we worship the God of second chances, but we don't worship the God of second guesses. And so if God put it in your heart, you better follow through and do what God has called you to do. And here is Hezekiah, that fear produced confusion. He's saying, I'm sorry, I've offended. I've done wrong. Whatever you want me to pay, I'll do it. And now instead of standing firm in his faith, he's cowering in concern. And so fear caused this confusion. But you know what else fear does in our lives? Fear causes compromise. 
fear will allow us to compromise our convictions and do things we wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, fear will attack our convictions. Fear will attack our integrity. And I want you to see how it happened to Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, in verse number 15, it says this. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 300 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the treasure that was found house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria now what Hezekiah does here is tragic he compromises his convictions and he pays tribute he pays money to the evil wicked king of Assyria and did you notice where he got the money from the house of the Lord Hezekiah robs from God to pay the enemy. See, sin will always take you further than you ever intended to go. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4, neither give place to the devil. Don't even let the devil have a little bit of a foothold in your life because if the devil can get a foothold in your life, he will open that door wide and take you further than you ever intended to go. And now here is Hezekiah and this fear uh, caused a compromise of his convictions and now he is giving money that belongs to the Lord. The Bible says this, in Psalm 34, verse number four, and I love this verse we sang about it this morning. It says this, I sought the Lord and he heard me. Aren't you thankful for that today? That the Lord hears and answers our prayers. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. If we're going to make a difference in the culture in which we're living, we cannot cower in concern, but we must be confident in Christ. And to determine, I'm not going to let fear call the shots in my life, but rather I'm going to submit to the Lord and walk by faith. That's number one. Refuse to let fear call the shots. Number two is this. We have to recognize that the enemy doesn't play fair. Recognize the enemy doesn't play fair. Now, we're going to go back to 2 Chronicles now and pick up the text. And I want you to see how it starts in verse number 2. Everybody still with me today? 2 Chronicles 32, verse number 2. The Bible says this. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. Because Hezekiah just paid him tribute money. Some commentators say it was $1.4 million that he gave uh, silver from uh, the Lord's temple. He gave it to the enemy. He just paid him. And the very next thing that happens is Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is determined to fight against Jerusalem. He says, yeah, thank you for the money. Guess what? We're still going to attack you. Hey, hey, thanks for that donation. We're still going to pursue uh, victory over you. We still want to destroy your uh, city. And what Hezekiah is recognizing in this moment, that the enemy does not play fair. You need to know about Satan in your life and in my life today, he doesn't play fair. He will do whatever it takes to uh, destroy you. The Bible says, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Make no mistake about it. The devil wants to mess up your life. He wants to mess up your marriage. He wants to mess up your children. He wants to mess up your family. He wants to mess up your coworkers' life. Uh, the devil wants nothing more than to derail you from the destiny that God has for you. And we have to recognize he's not going to play fair. I was reading the story about this boxer from the early 1900s, late 1800s. His name was Norman McCoy. He was the welterweight champion of the world at the time. And uh, he was in this boxing match, and it was the third round. And in the third round, he discovered that his opponent was deaf. And he kind of figured it out as they were boxing. And so what he did was, in the third round, is he kind of took a step back and he took his glove and he kind of pointed to his ear indicating the bell had just rung, even though it didn't. And he was kind of indicating that. And uh, as soon as his opponent turned aside to see, he issued uh, a devouring blow and knocked out his opponent. Now, uh, that was not fair, but it was very effective, right? Not fair, but effective. That's how the devil works. 
He's not fair, but he's effective. And he will constantly deliver lies into our culture and lies that so often we are believing today, even as followers of Jesus. Have you noticed this in our culture, that there are so many ideologies and philosophies that run contrary to the word of God? Uh, One psychologist said, uh, talking about the lies in our culture today, he says, uh, when it comes to the lies, it's not so much that we tell lies, it's that we live them that we are living according to the lies of this world. And we have to recognize that Satan, Jesus said, is the father of lies. Uh, To be the father of something in Jewish culture meant that you were the originator of that thing. And so Satan is the originator of lies. He's the father of lies. And so when he lies... He's speaking his native language, uh, that, that, that he wants to deceive you, and he wants to act like, hey, uh, this is going to be no big deal. See, the devil is an expert at promising, but he's poor at producing. He, he's great at advertising, but poor at producing. And Hezekiah thought, man, if I just kind of give him a little bit of money to kind of appease him, he's not going to attack. And the very next thing that happens is the devil attacks. Uh, that, that's why, or the enemy attacks. And that's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, uh, take heed to that which you hear. Be very careful about the content that you are consuming. Uh, Be very careful about the entertainment that you consume. Be very careful about what you are believing in the culture today, recognizing, okay, the enemy does not play fair. Now, this is going to lead us today uh, to our third thought. You ready for number three this morning? We refuse to let fear call the shots. We recognize, okay, the enemy is not going to play fair. Number three is this, re-engage in the fight. Now, I love this because here we're going to see some very practical uh, uh, advice uh, from Scripture uh, regarding getting spiritual victory. I believe that we should not just simply be hearers of the Word of God, but that we should be doers of the Word of God. And and so uh, we're going to look at some application as to how we can re-engage in the fight, how we can procure spiritual victory. Is anybody at the 10 o'clock service interested in spiritual victory, uh, getting the victory over the enemy? Uh, Because here we're going to see that what Hezekiah does is he starts fresh. God, in his grace, allows him to begin again. Uh, Hezekiah here has a spiritual mulligan. He gets a do-over. By the way, I'm so thankful today that in our lives, if you are desperate for a new beginning, if you are desperate for a fresh start, aren't you thankful that his mercies are new every single morning? The Bible says in Lamentations, great is his faithfulness. And so if you have messed up, Uh, The devil wants to use your mistakes to cripple you, but God wants to use your mistakes to cultivate you, to grow you, to allow you to become stronger as a result. And so Hezekiah here, uh, he failed, but now he's going to begin again. He has a fresh start. And I want you to see uh, how he reengages in the fight. And I'm going to get real practical today. Is that all right? And I want to give you three ways in which you can get spiritual victory. Three ways you can attain spiritual victory. If you're, if you're interested and if you're serious about re-engaging in the fight, I want you to see from the text three ways in which we can do this. First of all, number one, you have to stop the water. You've got to stop the water. I want you to see it in our text in 2 Chronicles 32, starting in verse number 3. It says this. He took counsel with his princes and his mighty men. Watch this. To stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city. And they did uh, help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, here's the key question, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? This was a great question. 
See, what he's alluding to is the fact that in, in uh, Judah, there was this uh, centralized spring system, and they had a water flow system that ran through the middle of the city, and it went to the outskirts of the city, providing water for all of those fenced cities. Well, right now in 2 Chronicles 32, who is occupying those fenced cities? The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he is the one that's occupying those fenced cities. And so Hezekiah gets with his counselors and he's saying, why would we give our enemy our water supply? The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to stop the water. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to cut off the water supply. Why would we give the enemy an unnecessary advantage over us by giving them our provision, by giving them our water? Why would we give them an unnecessary advantage? And that question is a great question for you and I today. Why would we give the enemy... An unnecessary advantage over us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, in chapter number 2, it says, uh, in verse number 11, it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. I don't know about you, but I don't want Satan to have any advantage in my life. I don't want him to have a a, a foothold in my life, uh, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And here's what we need to know. If we are going to win the war, we've got to cut off the water supply. We've got to stop feeding our flesh, we've got to stop giving the enemy an unnecessary advantage over us. Romans 13, 14 puts it this way. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and watch this, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And this is a word of encouragement that I believe the church needs desperately today. Stop making provision for the flesh. Stop making it easy for the enemy to get victory in your life. Stop giving the enemy your water supply. Uh, stop the source. Stop the water supply. If you are struggling with negativity, if you are struggling with your thought life, and you are struggling with just being a negative person, then why would you spend all day listening to news outlets and podcasts that are just going to bring you down? You might as well go ahead and stop the water supply. If you are struggling with temptation and you are trying to get victory over lust, uh, then why would you at three o'clock in the morning be scrolling on your phone? See, you need to stop the water supply. Why would I give the enemy an unnecessary advantage over me? Is anybody tracking with me this morning at the 10 o'clock service? Hey, if I'm struggling with some sin, if I'm struggling uh, in the battle, why would I give the enemy an unnecessary advantage over my life? If you want to win the war, you've got to stop the water. See, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number three, a prudent man, a wise person, this is what a wise person does. A wise person foreseeth the evil. Okay, a wise person does not say, well, what's wrong with it? That is what my children ask me all the time. Well, what is wrong with it? A spiritually mature Christian doesn't say, well, what's wrong with it? A a spiritually mature Christian says, what is the wise thing to do? A a prudent man foreseeth the evil. Hey, not just what is this right now, but what road is this going to lead me down? Where is this going to take me? And so a prudent man, a wise man, foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Okay, this road, I don't, it might not be inherently simple, but I don't like where it's going to take me, and so I'm going to hide myself. But watch what the simple person does. But the simple pass on and are punished. A simple person says, what's the big deal? I'm just going to keep on going. And so what we see is if we want to win the war, we've got to, first of all, stop the water. Here's the second uh, principle today. We stop the water, but then we have to strengthen what's weak. We've got to strengthen what's weak. Notice it in our text in verse number five. Everybody still with me today? And also, he strengthened himself. 
I just want to pause for a second right there. I love that Hezekiah, before he's going to leave publicly, he wants to make sure that he's right privately. And so what he does is, is he strengthens himself. He, he wants to make sure that he is right before the Lord. And so he stops the water supply. He, he wants to make sure that his heart is right before the Lord. Notice verse 5. And he also strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was, what is it? Broken. And he raised it up to the towers and on another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David. And so the next thing that Hezekiah does is he identifies all the broken areas on the wall, and he decides to strengthen that which is weak. He, he identifies the broken. Uh, my son, Luke, a couple weeks ago, we were out, and uh, I took him out golfing, and uh, he was riding on the golf cart holding his hand uh, up on the top, and uh, he slipped, and he fell, and he hurt his shoulder. And uh, we went uh, to the doctor, and he had to wear a sling for a little while, and now, uh, thankfully, his arm's doing a little bit better. And this past Thursday night, he was playing kickball. He was playing kickball in Rock Hill Kids, and uh, he tripped, and he fell, and he landed right on his hand, and he ended up breaking his hand. Uh, we took him to the doctor, and uh, we had to get an x-ray, and uh, he broke his hand. Now he's going to have to wear a cast for the next four to six weeks, and and uh, uh, he was talking with Katie, my wife, and, and Katie said, Luke, what are you going to play at recess for the first few weeks at school since your hand is broken? And he said, I don't know, probably kickball. And Katie said, that's exactly how you broke your hand in the first place, playing, playing kickball. But uh, that's, what, that's what he's going to do. But, you know, we had to take him, we had to take him, to, uh, we had to take him to urgent care and to get an x-ray. And when we went to get an x-ray, uh, they, you know, looked at his hand, and we looked at all the photos, and it showed exactly where it was broken and exactly where it needed to be and exactly where it needed to heal. And it was really helpful to kind of see what was broken and where it needed to be. And I believe that if we're going to experience spiritual victory, we have to identify, we have to be able to see what's broken in my life that, that needs to be repaired. Is there a relationship that is broken that needs to be repaired? Is there an attitude that's broken that needs to be repaired? Uh, maybe your devotional life is broken. Uh, maybe it's been a while since you've just opened up God's word and read the word of God and spent some time in prayer. Uh, what in your life is broken that needs to be built back up? That's exactly what Hezekiah does. First, he stops the water. I'm not going to feed my flesh. I'm, I'm not going to feed uh, the enemy. I'm going to stop the water. Then I'm going to strengthen that which is weak. I'm going to start building back up the broken things in my life. And then the third practical component is this. He started to supply the weapons. Now, I want you to see what he does at the end of verse number five. It says this. It says, and made darts and shields in abundance. And so the next thing that he does is he gets everybody together. And he says, hey, we're going to need weapons. And he gathers uh, uh, darts and spears and shields in abundance. He makes sure that they have exactly what they need in order to secure the victory. Now, we understand today that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, right? We understand today that we're not talking about physical weapons, but spiritually, we have to understand that we are called to put on the armor of God, that we do have some spiritual weapons that we need to be prepared with. Now, the primary weapon that we have as followers of Jesus, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 17 is this, and take the helmet of salvation. It begins with knowing that you are saved, that you've experienced salvation through Jesus Christ alone, and put the helmet of salvation on in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God. Can I tell you today that the word is your weapon? And if you are serious about getting spiritual victory, then you need to be serious about hiding God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against the Lord. Uh, the word is our weapon. When Jesus Christ was experiencing adversity in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, when the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, how did Jesus fight back against Satan? Well, what he did was he quoted scripture. Why? The word was his weapon. And so today, if you are serious about uh, getting spiritual victory, you have to 
saturate yourself in the word of God. You've got to supply the weapons and make sure that you are equipped with the sword of the spirit. And so what does Hezekiah do? He reengages in the fight. He stops the water. He strengthens what is weak. He supplies uh, the weapons. Why? He is serious about spiritual victory. And this leads us to our last and final thought today. Do you have time for one more this morning? That little clock back there says I have five minutes, so we'll see if we can do it. Number four is this. Rest in God's sovereign rule. Rest in God's sovereign rule. Once you re-engage in the fight, and once you are serious about spiritual warfare, then you can rest in God's sovereign rule. You can rest that God's in control. You can rest that God is good, and you don't have to worry about everything that you are doing. You can rest that God is good, and he's loving, and he is in control. And I want you to see how our text concludes. Notice verse number six today. It says this, and he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city. And watch this. And he spake comfortably to them. And I love what Hezekiah does here. He demonstrates good leadership. He uses his words to speak life into his people. There are too many people today that are excellent at speaking words of death and discouragement. But what we need today are some people and some leaders that know how to speak life and words of encouragement. You can either use your words as bricks to destroy people and bricks to bring people down uh, or uh, bricks to build people up. And so we have to choose our words wisely. And what Hezekiah does here is he speaks, he speaks comfortably to them. Th- that, that meant that he spake uh, words of comfort, words of encouragement. You know what uh, we desperately need today in our world? Words of encouragement. Amen. Turn on the news for five minutes and you will be discouraged. We need words of life and encouragement. You know, I was talking to a friend recently. He got a a new job, and I asked him, I said, how's the new job going? And he said, man, it's been going great. He said, my boss the other day told me that I'm doing a good job. And I said, said, yeah, that's awesome. And he said, you know, at the last place I worked for 15 years, my boss never one time told me I did a good job. And it meant the world to him that somebody just said, you're on the right track. You're doing a good job. And here's Hezekiah as a leader. He stands before the people. Hey, I know we're surrounded by the enemy right now. Let's not forget Sennacherib is all around the fence cities. I know it looks bad, but God's in control. (laughs) I know it looks bad, but hey, we can be strong and courageous. Notice what he says specifically starting in verse 7. He says, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. Watch this phrase. For there be more with us than with him. Now, let me ask you, how can he say that from an earthly perspective? Because if I'm in Judah at the time and I'm listening to King Hezekiah and he's saying, hey, there's more with us than with him. I'm thinking, no, there's not. We are surrounded by the enemy. They have way more soldiers than we do. They have way more resources than we do. Hezekiah, how can you say that there are more with us than with them? Can I tell you today, it's because one plus God is always the majority. And it doesn't matter how many people stand against you. If God is for you, then who can be against you? And so today, we can place our faith and confidence in Jesus knowing one plus God is the majority. My hope is not in a politician. My hope is not in the government. Uh, My hope is not in some charismatic leader. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And and I just want you to know today that one plus God is always the majority. And so look at what he says. Be strong and courageous. Notice verse 8. With him is an arm of flesh. Yeah, he's got the upper hand physically. Yeah, he's got impressive resources. Yeah, Sennacherib, he's pretty scary. 
For with him is an arm of flesh, but with us, with us. And if you have a habit of underlining in your Bible or highlighting in your Bible, I would encourage you to, uh, to circle that phrase, with us. He, he says, but with us, with us, is the Lord our God to help us. With us. He's with us. Can I remind you that we do not worship a God that is just some sort of dis- distant cosmic butler up in the sky that's very far from us. But the God that we worship is Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus is God with us. And it doesn't matter what is surrounding us in the world because the one who dwells within us is greater than anything that is in the world today. And I love that Hezekiah gives them this promise to hold on to. Hey, he's with us. God that is with us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's with us. And I want you to see how they responded to his words at the end of verse number eight. And the people rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. I love how this text ends, that the people hear the word from Hezekiah saying, God's in control, he's sovereign, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's good. Uh, God's got this, he's in control. And they rested on his words. So many people today, they are searching for rest, they are searching for some sort of inner peace, Uh, they're searching for some sort of contentment in a world that is just driven by uh, what's next and what I need and materialism and, and so many thoughts of anxiety might be running to and fro, but I'm thankful today that when we place our faith in Jesus, he promises rest for the weary soul. He promises that we can truly rest in him. It's like what Augustine said, our souls will be truly restless until we find our rest in him. And today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the only way to experience eternal rest and eternal satisfaction and eternal purpose for your life. Sure, you can find some eternal purpose today or some temporary purpose. Rather, you can find some purpose here and now, but the only way to have purpose for all of eternity is to anchor your life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He's God with us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.